All right, so hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. That's the whole point of this podcast, and I am thrilled again to be talking to Phoebe Godfrey. Um, I, I mean, the thing that strikes me as your the tagline for you that is so relevant to this is that you're teaching the sociology of climate change. Mm-hmm. Is it the University of Connecticut? Now, it is, right? yeah. So, I mean, I don't... We when did we last talk? A year ago, maybe. I think about a year ago. Yeah. And I teach society and climate change in the fall, and then in the spring, starting on Wednesday, I teach sustainable societies. Wow! So it's basically a, a year long course, although students don't have to take right, both, um, parts. both yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, but I conceptualize them as a two part overlapping uh, theme. And you were saying to me as I was setting up the mics, and I want people to know that you're working on a a edited book of... Uh, So this would be an edited book of social theory writings or writings on social theory from which you extract small segments um, as well as writings on the environment. But that sounds very small scale, like Mm -hmm. the environment. Um, It's more placing the social theory pieces in a philosophical context in terms of how have humans come to think about their relationship with the environment, with themselves, what does it mean to be human? So there's a, a piece um, from you know the Old Testament. There's a piece from uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's a piece from Ovid's Metamorphoses, and then a reading from Karl Marx, or a reading from um, Foucault, or various people who normally get read in a undergraduate social theory and a graduate social theory class. But my purpose is is to reconceptualize social theory. Um, in this larger lens, and sort of, it's like you know, you've always focused on the play, and now it's time to look at the stage and say, okay, well, where does the play take place, yeah. and how does where the play takes place shape how the actors are conceptualizing their roles and the script and the you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book will be called uh, Social Theory for the Anthropocene, and uh, it's going to come out in, in 2018 in the spring. So, and, and can you explain Anthropocene for those of us who are not? Uh, so the an- Anthropocene is the, the new term that gets used to, to talk about the age of human dominance over nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Paleocene, you know, of, of sort of the beginning of, of, of the Stone Age, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I can't list them all, mm. uh, but the Anthropocene is is the popular one now mm. in terms of saying that like humans have for the last two thousand years or something. Like yeah, that. it's basically since the Industrial Revolution, okay. um, you know, and although you know, climate change is is a very long scale time based right. uh, relationship between humans and the environment we have the you know we have an idea that it's oh it's just happening you know right. it's new and and it's you know and humans have been altering the environment right. um and you know playing their role yeah. in exterminating species and other species mm-hmm. you know i mean things like you know most species that have ever existed are extinct right. uh you know but we have a very uh, small scale view but the anthropocene is um, is this idea that we are now um, shaping nature, um, although, uh, as Naomi Klein in her movie, um, This Changes Everything, argues, and as many others have argued, you know, nature um, will react back or is reacting yeah. back and will not be dominated um, <laughs> by us because yeah. we ourselves are. Inseparable, right. yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's sort of like that feeling when you're, you know, you're in your f- most um, youthful, and you're feeling really fit, and you're feeling so like you could do, you could conquer the world, and and then you trip and fall on your face, and and your body completely falls to pieces, yeah. you know. And so that there, there's that intellectual or spiritual mm-hmm. sense of domination, but we're always in a physical body right. that is always going to return. Uh, to where wherever it came from. So much of what you just said is like sparking things for me. One one of them is the the 
the uh, thought of, for some reason I've been thinking a lot about the way you feel, sort of where your mind is at the moment when you fall, <laughs> like on concrete or something. Mm -hmm. It's It seems, at least for me, the experience has always been, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it is. It's a surprise mm -hmm. at how hard... Uh, those sort the the bones and the <laughs> that are like you know this little bit of flesh we have between our bones and um, and the the outside of our body doesn't do a whole lot to protect us from that. No. And there's something about that surprise that feels similar to the awareness, the growing awareness of you know like the feelings that I had when Trump was elected, mm -hmm. and the feelings that I'm seeing reflected around me, and and the feelings. That I have like starting to really come to terms with like how how dire things things look sometimes when you look at the science about climate change. Another thing you said that really resonated with me was the idea of of the actors and the stage, and that now we look, turn around and look at the stage, and and uh, it reminds me of oh I want to say Galileo, like way back when mm -hmm. science was was raising a lot of feelings for people because the scientists were telling us that actually the earth is not the center yeah. of the universe. And, you know, maybe we are not the cent. you know, the spotlight may not be on us. Maybe we are a stage ourselves, you know, that's yeah. really great. Yeah. And I, I, I stole that from Shakespeare's mm. all the world's a stage and, mm. and it, you know, as a playwright, he didn't say all the world's a play. Right. You know, he, he, he stepped yes. back and he said, it's the stage and, you know, we have our exits and our entrances and, mm. you know, and this and that. And, mm. but as sociologists, we've been very slacking in looking at the environment as, as the stage upon which human activity takes place. I, 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 uh, I learned, I was listening to something earlier today and it was a, a scientist talking about her discovery and now now I knew about this it's it's fairly recent though but um <clears throat> but um so we grew up with if if we got any uh learning about ecosystems uh, we'd look at a forest and see trees are we were taught that trees are competing mm -hmm. for resources you know the sun this space and whatever and then she was doing studies where she was discovering by um tracking certain substances that she exposed a tree to one tree to and then, then the neighbors would pick it up that, 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 that there's an interlocking web yeah. and not only do they share sort of information but they actually accommodate each other yeah like a, a sick tree will be given more resources this is this is the work of peter walliner uh, i think i'm pronouncing it correctly his new book called the hidden life of trees he's a german forester that uh, it's just been translated into English. It came out last year. He may year. have written that book, yes, yeah. yes. And that definitely That's... has gotten a lot of the press. The, the interview that I was hearing was with okay. the so who she... did the first research. Oh, that, okay. That actually That's great. uncovered it. But, um, yeah, the, he refers to it, and maybe he took it from her. I haven't yeah, read the yeah, book no, yet, uh, the, sure. of the, you know, the wood wide web. The, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and that, you know, there's, there's a much more of a living system than... than at least Western humans or humans who have grown up with the sort of Newtonian mechanical right. view of the world that everything is a machine and everything mm -hmm. is separate and, and it only communicates insofar as you can see, you know, the process, whereas, you know, lots of indigenous people would have said, well, of course, you know, the trees are alive or of course they're right. communicating or, you know, of course the, you know, the, the mushroom and the eagle and the tree are in relationship with right. each other. But at, what I love about this is the implications for... Because uh, the idea of nature is... is the, the stage is a competition. You mm -hmm. know, that, that everything is um, competing for resources sort of sets up a rationale for capitalism. And Well, we, that theory comes from capitalists, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it... Oh, okay. I right. thought about that, but yeah. That idea that, you know, evolution is always about, you know, competition as opposed to cooperation. A lot of that is, well, that's the lens through which... Darwin was looking at the world or through which, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, your social point of reference, right? So that competition is, as you said, it's a capitalist model. And so those raised in that economic model look at nature and go, well, it must be the same, mm -hmm. right? Those raised in a cooperative model will look mm -hmm. at, you know, nature and say, well, of course it's cooperative. And, oh. you know, and I think it's, it's both. 
certainly species compete, but they also, you know, greatly cooperate with mm. each other. Mm. Otherwise, you know, everybody's somebody else's food. Right. You know, and in many ways, you you know, that's a form of cooperation. Mm. Even if you're not voluntarily being eaten, your your existence allows that other species to exist. That allows that other species to exist. Mm. That allows that other species. And then there's also the the flip, the part of it that we deny that has to do with our waste and and our our decay, mm-hmm. you know, like that we are actually could be part of an ecosystem to to the point of our body our dead bodies supplying mm-hmm. food to um, what do you call those those creatures that eat that stuff <laughs> like the mycela mycelia or something oh, okay. and then, I was yeah, they, like ravens and yeah or the, those yeah. Yeah. there's a there's a japanese woman who's designed a death suit mm-hmm. and it has mushroom spores oh, in it this, yeah. yeah and you you can put it on a corpse and yeah. and they'll just right. you know munch away um and Personally, I want one, you know, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, you know, the whole idea of embalming is yes. is very much like you were saying that denial right. of of suit. who we really are, mm-hmm. right? That we really are living matter. Yeah. That, you know, eventually, and and <clears throat> even now, I mean, ninety nine percent of what you call you is actually yeah. other creatures that right. are living in you, and, right. and you know, and we find that very. Uh, offensive and you know germs and bugs and you know and it's like I find it very comforting. Yeah, know, that, I do too. That, yeah. You know, you are an ecosystem, right. that, uh, and that you're not separate. I, I I think of myself like my my consciousness is a um, and let me just back off for one second and just say we have taken a deep dive quick. <laughs> so let me just let me just I will continue what I was going to say, but I want to say now just for people listening and wanting to like get a foothold on like where is this conversation going? I definitely want to ask you about I guess sort of an update. It's been another year that you've been teaching these classes and how's it going and what have you, are you thinking and what are where's the like sort of learning edge for you? And then also I want to follow up on on the the book that you're working on and what I don't know whatever little nuggets you could share from doing the research to put that together um and I lost my train oh I was gonna say that I see my my consciousness as a committee of mm-hmm. all the little the parts of me all feeding into the decisions about what I decide to eat and when I decide to sleep and what I feel emotionally and mm-hmm. and how I respond to the stimuli around me. So the idea of like kind of trying to seal myself off after I'm dead sort of sounds like putting yourself in jail. Like why not let all those little consciousnesses go free? Yeah. (laughs) And they'll do, they won't, I don't think they survive you in a certain way, but they become food for others. And I don't know, somehow it seems like there must be some kind of memory that sticks with some little code that sticks with each piece. And it, probably loses track of the idea of this identity that i have as a yeah person. or it, it i mean it's energy consciousness is energy and it transforms it's like a right. you know one's one's life is like a you know a radio that picks up mm. you know the waves right. that are out there and and interprets them and but if the radio is not on the waves yeah. are still out there yeah. and they're getting picked up by right. you know and so you know one's consciousness is a it, you're your embodiment is mm-hmm. the ability to pick up the waves that are out there yeah. that are in, that sort of are the life force, and then you know you, the, this particular radio gets shut off. But they are mm-hmm. so. So yeah. uh, in terms of of situating ourselves, um, yeah. where am I a year later? Well, like I said in the beginning, I just taught in the fall mm-hmm. um, my fourth. Society and Climate Change mm-hmm. class. I've been teaching it for four years now, and uh, I think it was my most successful in in, in terms of um, I threw out the research paper. And um, normally, this class is a what what we refer to as a W course, which means it's writing intensive, and UConn students have to have, or and most college students probably those at your school, a certain number of courses that are targeted mm-hmm. on being able to write in an academic way. Right. I had my students write and I had them do a lot of 
analysis and thinking and this and that. But I got rid of the individual aspect. It's not that they don't do any writing. They do, they do personal journals. Um, but I had them work in groups, and they had to actually do something outside of the classroom. Um, and when I say they had to, it was an option, and everybody except one student chose the option, Then the student who didn't said he was too busy, which is fine. Uh, but they came up with some wonderful things, and I used the severity of climate change as the rationale that I offered them. I said, you know, this is... this is too important of an issue to have you just write papers that only I read. Um, there's, mm. there's a need for the public, and we did a lot on climate change denial, and we looked a lot at Donald Trump, and we looked at you know sort of the dark money of the Koch brothers and how much has gone on to try to... Um, scramble the issue and make people question, you know, the data and this, that, and the other. So they selected ways to, to get the information out to the larger community. Uh, so I had two students go to Manchester High School and do a presentation with students there, and then their their paper was writing about the decisions that they made, how they taught their class, why they taught it the way they did, mm-hmm. how the students reacted, what that, how did that link to the research that we were doing in class. I had um, two students do an animation for kids that is now on YouTube. I had um, three student, no, a group of four students, including three football players, do a film on masculinity and its influence on climate change in terms of how much our destruction of the planet comes from this place of hypermasculinity and uh, bravado and, you know, I'm going to dominate the earth and, mm-hmm. and, um, and how a lot of that is the masculinity that they grew into as football players. And um, so that was... A, a really great shift to to have them do real projects, and I think they found it much more interesting. And um, another group did a fascinating comparison between the Game of Thrones and climate change, oh. and made a video uh, retelling the story of Game of Thrones in terms of the White Walkers representing climate change. And in I don't for anybody who doesn't yeah I'm trying to remember I, I I've watched it but I don't remember what it's the just, White Walkers are. the White Walkers are um, beyond the wall in the oh, north oh, and they they are, they're they're are already cold. dead they're dead people oh, they're the dead ones yeah they're okay. the dead ones <laughs> and so as the 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 sort of quest for power goes on yeah. people are fighting against each other rather than recognizing they have a common enemy that right. they should unite. Against and and yeah. um, so there was a lot of really interesting yeah. parallels that that they came up with huh. and yeah so the idea was to like I said to for them to take the concept of climate change out of the classroom and apply it in ways that they found interesting and all of these they chose uh, you know I I didn't say you know you go here and you do that and right, you, make, right. you know um, so that made it more enjoyable for me as well because it, it it's like working with people who are doing projects and who are yeah. get excited because it's something that they're interested about and they're you know communicating with teachers and they're going to school visits and they're doing yeah. interviews and they're you know um so that was that was great and I I plan to continue doing that I mean it, the term largely held is service learning mm-hmm. right and i i decided to redefine service learning a little more loosely because uh, service learning generally the model is placing a student or a group of students at a nonprofit, right. or you know and they work for that nonprofit. Yeah. versus this definition was that they are serving the larger community because their work involves people outside of the classroom. Uh, well, and, and they're designing their own, and that's the sociology piece, right? They're designing their own approach to how to how to communicate something that they feel strongly about. Yeah, and that's uh, that feels. I mean, when I hear the idea of a class on sociology of climate change, that feels like, oh yes, this is exactly what we need. The what? I mean. When I was talking to David Clark, who's the, I was telling you, uh, my last episode was the, um, with the president of the Weather Channel, 
he was talking about how um, it looks to him like there's something like 80 or 85 percent of the people who kind who get it and don't deny the science, but don't understand how bad it is and don't understand and and aren't engaged in in sort of what needs to happen. Um, and that's where the sociology comes in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and and I mean, as the motto of your show, you know, one conversation at a time, or one mm. student project at a time, and you know, and and um, having them, you know, put their stuff on YouTube, or you know, try, create blogs, or do things that. Um, are not relying anymore on hierarchical forms of communication, right? That students can directly influence a large audience of people with what before was just a little school project. I mean, a little school project can become a viral YouTube video. Right. Uh, and, And this has completely changed for me, you know, the whole concept of education, That that we, you know, need to break open how we have our students show us their work, Mm. right? And and redefine, well, what is academic work? Mm. And, and, you know, give much more validity to um, the experiential part, you know. Now, if I wasn't about to start teaching my web design and motion graphics class in two days, that probably would have impacted my syllabus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just that idea right there. Well, it would be great to be able to take on um, this topic in the context of um, of a of a graphic design curriculum as well. Yeah. So, hmm. well, maybe you can suggest that as a project topic, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I right. assume they do some kind of projects. Yeah, I have to think it through how yeah. I would make it work, but yeah, yeah. I, I will. I will. De- I will definitely think about that. Yeah. Okay, so well, let's talk about the the what you're getting from the work you're doing on this on this book so in what am i getting intellectually and yes, and exactly. um it's it it's a great uh way of showing how my own mind works mm-hmm. um and i am a very eclectic person so i like a little bit of this a little bit of that mm-hmm. and um this particular book like the two books that I edited before uh, that I'd mentioned when I was on the show with you, the, the uh, global crisis of climate change, race, class, and gender, and emergent possibilities for global sustainability, race, class, and gender, that are, that are edited volumes that have academics and activists and artists and poets and right. playwrights and things like that. Uh, this book will also have poems and some imagery and... Um, you know, writings, like I said, as different as um, something from Ovid's Metamorphosis all the way to, you know, Judith Butler, who writes on gender performativity and, and sexuality and things like that. And the the idea is that, you know, students, I think, need to have more correlation between ideas, right? If you even if you just look at the um, way we organize majors, it's completely insane to have somebody focus on economics and know nothing about the environment or have somebody focus on psychology and know nothing about the arts or have somebody do an art degree and know nothing, you know, about uh, biology and, and what aesthetics, aesthetics in many ways, what I, I would argue, you know, it has to have a biological component. All humans have developed forms of art. In fact, that's how we come to define our species as distinct from from our earlier ancestors, right? When we began, you know, painting caves and when we began, you know, sort of reflecting on, you know, how we want things to appear, mm-hmm. right? Modifying our bodies and mm-hmm. wearing jewelry or doing tattooing or things like that. And, and so, you know, we create the very uh, insanity through through the through the school system, you know, and obviously the liberal arts is the idea that you get a little bit of this, you get a little bit of that. But I think in those classes, you know, professors fail 
to show students those connections, you know, that, okay, you're going to take a women's studies class, but what this is really about, it's not just about women. This is really about, you know, food production. This is really about how economics, this is really about everything to do with our history as humans. This is really about, right. And, and weaving in those other threads. So no matter what major they're in, you know, that they could find a connection, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have a lot of students, I actually just taught sociology of education and they were complaining about, you know, the, the gen eds, which are the general requirements Mm -hmm. and, you know, and they like, you know, biology, I'm an arts major. Why should I take biology or I'm English major? You know, why should I take, you know, I'm like, well, the whole point of biology for a gen ed class should be to make students fall in love with life because life is biology yeah. right instead all it does is stress them out and make them hate it yeah. right well because of you know how it's taught and yeah. it's like a 200 lecture class and you know and it's based on memorizing right. and, you know you know and, and so again going back to this book it's like you know i want students to to enjoy the experience of learning by having their brain be able to play right and i think you know if you remember you know, when you're a little kid and if you gave them one block, it'd be like, all right, one block is sort of cool, you know, but if you threw down, you know, you gave them a block and you gave them, you know, some pencils and you gave them some, you know, bandy rubber things or, you know, uh, then they could be excited. And with those different pieces start to, you know, connect the block to the rubber thing and this and that. And, you know, and by the time they get to college, it's, Everything is compartmentalized. Everything mm. is fractured. And, and again, I think, you know, when we think about climate change, it's a, the result of incredible layers of separation and layers of alienation and layers of not recognizing, you know, that this is linked to that. So if I drive my car, that happens over there. It's like that sort of butterfly wing and butterfly effect. You know, everything... What do you mean, the butterfly? Oh, you know, the 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 wing of a butterfly changes the fate oh, of the like whole. Oh, like a little bit of a flood, wind that's generated. Whatever, you know, you know that that all things in one's life, all choices, and you know, yeah. have repercussions right. in the larger world. That nothing is separate. I guess listening to you, I'm reminded that um, the same is true with taking on this huge topic of climate change and taking on care of the environment. Um, that that the environment includes our our our, our bodies, our bodies mm-hmm. and our relationships and our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I I was talking to some people about being an artist and feeling like I I was struggling to see why what was important. Like people were saying to me, it's oh artists are needed more than ever right now, and I I think I can see that in a certain way, but like I can't quite reconcile the desire to doodle that I have with addressing climate change, you know, and then somehow I was able to sort of string a a bunch of things together and realize that, that, that creativity is what we need. Mm -hmm. Creativity. You need an environment that's fertile for creativity Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's a lot of things that need solving. And that's the only way you, you come up with unique and, and appropriate solutions to things is, is, um, by applying creativity and and also getting back to the idea that that's play yeah that it, that we're not necessarily looking at at um drudgery when we think about cleaning up the mess it's it, you know in community those kind of chores are a lot of fun yeah uh, again to i just watched naomi klein's uh, this changes everything mm-hmm. and uh, at the end, she said, you know, climate change may be the best opportunity we've ever had to, to create the world yeah. that we claim we want when we right. use words like democracy and freedom and justice for all and, and you know, liberty and mm-hmm. um, you know, integrity and all, yeah. all of those, you know, highfalutin words that, you know, bring out... Mm-hmm. For lack of, for in simple in simple terms, the best of humanity, yeah. um, that this is you know our our edge, and uh, it's 
in that way exciting mm-hmm. you know to to be alive at this time mm-hmm. where you know there is a force i mean again going back to my class I, you know there i am you know well i could do traditional w papers and just have them write a 15 paper research paper or i could say you know climate change gives me the excuse to say you know this is this is not what we need right now mm-hmm. right this is boring we've done it you know how to do it and if you don't know how to do it you'll learn how to do it but do it around something that has larger social and personal meaning um, and that will enable you, you know, to become uh, a creative communicator who can look at things in a different way rather than, you know, in this very linear way. I mean, you know, research papers are deceptive. Life is not like a research paper. You know, or any, you know, where you start with an idea and, and you're able to take it to, to a, a, a lo- rational or logical conclusion. You know, a hundred interruptions happen in life, right? Where you're like, oh, my idea, you know, I'm still trying to get there. I and, mean, you know, when I think of my work, you know, with Click, my, my uh, the nonprofit that Tina and I work on, and, you know, I, I say to my colleagues, if, if they ever ask me, I'm like, you know, writing is easy. Comparatively speaking, right? And, and I know, you know, for a lot of people, there's a lot of anxiety around writing, and we, you know, you know. But part of that, you know, when you sit down at your desk or at your computer or with your little notebook, it's like you are in total control mm-hmm. of that world. Mm-hmm. And right. um, versus, you step out your front door and you say, "Okay, I'm going to take my idea that I just wrote about and try to make it happen in the real world," and it's like. Okay. The real world doesn't necessarily uh, conform to your expectations uh, and yeah. responses. And the real world doesn't yeah, necessarily want your idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, seven years later, you were still like, no, here's a really great idea. And, you know, um, yeah. So. I, I um, recent right after the election, I had a conversation or two with people about our feelings about it. And everybody was sort of, at least in our community and the people that probably that you and I mostly um, interact with were very devastated by <laughs> the result. And, um, and, but, but the conversations didn't, didn't necessarily go well, um, especially with men who wanted to, in the context of being unhappy about Trump um, being president, um, wanted to uh, say they were also, but they were happy it wasn't Hillary. It was sort of, there was a, I could get, I knew where they were coming from, but there was sexism in it, and mm-hmm. there wasn't really room for, like, well, these were really the only choices we were presented. Um, that is a travesty, and uh, and that there couldn't be any room for that to be something to feel sad about, that we didn't get our first f- female president at that time. So anyway, the point that I'm trying to make, because it seems like I've taken a, taken a, um, a detour, is that those conversations did not go as I expected. Mm. And I I had to walk away from them and think through what I had said and what I had expected um, in terms of there being room for everyone to say how they felt about it. Yeah. You know, like the the guy saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not sad it wasn't Hillary. And I said, well, I am. And they sort of jumped jumped down my throat about how wrong I was to feel sad that it wasn't Hillary. I was like, no, you had room for your... And then I was, oh, oh, I was assuming we were all talking about our feelings, that this wasn't like a, a punditry conversation or, you know, just the way men are taught to process emotions. It's different than the way I was given space to. And yeah. So it was very interesting. So it, I just, it reinforced for me the importance of, of engaging with people. And I found myself thinking one project that I would like to see happen is uh, maybe it's already happening. Maybe if anyone hears this and likes the idea and wants to run with it, please do. I will be so glad. But um, is to start setting up forums for people who uh, voted on opposite sides or, you know, divergent sides of the the, the aisle um, <clears throat> to be able to talk to each other. Yeah. And even like Facebook groups, you know, whatever, you know, and just have a, a place where there could be the simplest rules that kindness. You can share your ideas, but 
but if the only thing that's not allowed is anything that's unkind. And yeah, I, I, it's nice that you say that because I've I've been thinking the same thing. And and again, as you know, we have the nonprofit click, and we have space there. And then last winter, I taught a class on the sociology of food mm. that was part of our mural project that uh, we got funded uh, by the Connecticut Department of the Arts. And and this year, I I keep thinking, you know, I want to do maybe I'll do a class on climate change. And part of me is like, hmm. The people who will come are sort of will know a lot of you know of the content or at least the approach and and then I was thinking ah you know what would be really great is you know to bring people together who don't talk and who don't have the same uh, language or frame of reference and and I was like well how you know how could you get those people you know to show up and not to categorize everybody as those people mm-hmm. but people who you know, are not part of like you like this you said. This community is as generally liberal, progressive, uh, right. probably more educated um, or not. But you know, certainly uh, quite a few of us are are educated and you know, and ascribe to um, basic ideas around you know mm-hmm. wanting a sustainability and believing in in. Uh, you know, collective action and things like that. And um, and then I got stuck because I, I didn't know how you could bring people together and it to f- be on equal terms, mm-hmm. right? That it wouldn't feel like a setup. Like, right. I mean, you know, you voted for Trump, I'm inviting you to come and I'm going to, you know, take you down. Um, and, you know, I'm part of that, you know, is my objective in class. I mean, mm-hmm. I... Um, I'm very clear that the point of my class is to change how you think, mm. you know, and if you don't want to change how you think, don't take this class, mm. you know, stay home, watch TV, you know, like, why would you pay to to take a class and end up thinking exactly the way you thought in the beginning, mm. you know, so you'd want people, you know, and, and I guess, you know, if students didn't have to be there, a lot of them be like, I don't want to change how I think. I like how I think, mm. you know, uh, but you know, so you'd have to have a way that people would be choosing to possibly be transformed or, you know, but um, still allow for them to have a different perspective. Right. Right. And so something, the thing that appeals to me about the Facebook idea is that this can be a moderated forum that anybody's tempers run high. It's very simple to control, you know, control for that in a way that you couldn't in a room. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I read comments. I'm not really on Facebook, but if I read an interesting article, I'll read things that people post underneath Mm and, yeah, and you need you do need a f- a way that there is somebody who's going to hold up a mirror who's going to invite people to you know it's like the idea of you know i just think that uh, facebook wouldn't be intimate enough mm-hmm. right because it allow i mean one of you the things that out. online allows is people to say things and then be like oh, you know, you can't touch me because now I'm offline, right? Right. Versus, you know, if you're sitting with me, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, you know, uh, about Christianity and, and, you know, a lot of my students are Christians and, mm. you know, and I'll tease them all the time. I'm like, oh, so, you know, you're Christian. So, so I, I assume you give all your things away to the poor, right? You know, you know, oh no, you don't. Oh, so how, how, you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you follow somebody who said, if you want to follow me, you know, give all your stuff away or, you know, or how do we, you know, how does somebody claim to be a Christian and say, you know, we're going to spend all this money on, on war? Like how, mm-hmm. how does that fit? You know, and you, you have to be with somebody and there has to be an element of trust. It's like a therapeutic process. Yeah, and so again, right. you know, you, I think for any kind of dialogue to 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 work, people have to come and say, you know, I voted for Trump, and or I voted for Hillary, and I'm all, you know, but I'm I'm not satisfied with 
my perspective. There's mm-hmm. something I keep thinking there's something missing. Yeah. And then then you can work, you know, and I, I've been trying to, again, you know, maybe we can talk about this more of like what the hook would be, you know, mm. you know, could you say something like, are you concerned about climate change? Mm. You know, regardless of where, how you vote or, you know, as a human being on this planet, are you concerned about, you know, your children's future? If so, come join a community conversation or something like that. <clears throat> Well, one one possibility is to do something like a, a listening project where you go as a small group um, into sort of foreign territory in a sense. You find some way in that where where there's people who trust you and you come in with a small number of questions sort of pre-established that you would like to listen to people talk about. It doesn't necessarily become a... Um, Certainly not a debate and not necessarily a conversation in the sense of two-way sharing, Mm -hmm. Um, but it gives people a chance to have their views heard and, and, you know, maybe you have some sort of questions that you ask politely and respectfully about, about those ideas, um, that give them a chance to think further and give you a chance. I mean, for me personally, the, I, I like how you put that about um, not satisfied with your feel, with your perspective, like that feels like there's something missing, because that's how I feel, and I think a lot of people feel about trying to understand the Trump voter, mm-hmm. um, the 53% of white women in our country who voted for him, for example. Like, I, By the way, if anybody watches the show Blackish, which I think is ABC, and I... I've never seen the show except that someone told me about this um, one scene. So I was able to kind of go on abc.com and just watch this one clip. But there's a, a group of people sitting around a table. It's a, it's a you know, like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they try to take on issues about what it means to be black or multiracial and this culture and, and racism. And there's a lot of it's pretty interesting the little bit that I saw. But anyway, they have this con- this dialogue about the the how people are feeling at the uh, in a workplace, you know, environment. There's maybe, I want to say, six people or eight people around a table, and they're talking about it. And it surfaces that this one white woman in their staff circle voted for Trump, and she's saying why, and people are reacting and everything. It's like, oh, these are the kind of conversations that, that, w- that would be great if more were happening. Yeah. And not just about the election but even though that's i think that's got a lot of people's attention and obviously we're 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 closing in on inauguration day so all the more so right now but yeah so yeah we can keep talking about this idea yeah, these ideas I, i'm i'm into it yeah i i think it's it's and you know the spaces where these kind of things happen are generally you know uh around spiritual quest and, you know, and, and I mean, the, the Christians are very good at this in that, you know, they have that edge where that's idea of, if you don't converse with me, I'm going to condemn you, right? There's Mm -hmm. that notion. And so how do you get people to come just as truth seekers, not, not a particular truth necessarily, Mm -hmm. but, you know, again, you know, where people are not satisfied with their ability to analyze what is going on and they're looking for deeper meaning and they're looking for you know to have some of their questions resolved mm-hmm. um there aren't a lot of spaces where that happens yeah uh, i i don't think we don't really have um public forums for truth seeking that mm-hmm. isn't you know or dominated by a particular like i said like christian or right. you, then i need to go to the synagogue if i because i want to research my right, heritage as a, a, yeah they're always sort of linked into mm-hmm. uh an existing ideology that then markets to you a particular idea versus a larger mm-hmm. you know I, I liked you know the idea of the new school for social research like that you know which is a uh, a graduate school in New York, and you know, just that idea that the, that there we need a school just for social research mm-hmm. for people just to come with questions and and be able to um, be slightly guided. I mean, I you know, I mm-hmm. think people do need help unpacking ideas. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you know, just well, figure it out yourself. I, no, you know, no. Uh, well, 
And I wasn't suggesting. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't. I don't think you were. Yeah. I, I just, um, it's like I said, it's it's a fine line, mm-hmm. you know, between being proselytized to or being made to, you know, see the world in a certain way, and having somebody, you know, try to tease out what are you actually saying? You know, yeah. when you say you voted for Trump, well, well, why did you vote for Trump? Well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but then what's the next level? Well, I, you know, I think he'll be, make America great. Well, what does great mean to you? Yeah. What, you know, how do you define, how has he, has he ever defined that word? No. Well, if he's never defined the word right. and you have no idea what he means by great, how can you then trust that he's going to have the same meaning of great that you have? Right. And things like that, then, you know, are very simple to do with people. It's sort of like a therapeutic process where you just, you know, and you and and it it invites people to to a deeper level of thinking than than their every day, because we assume that we all know what great means. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure your version of great, you know, would be totally different than somebody who voted for Donald Trump. I think the direction that I would imagine the conversation going that would be most I don't know, useful to me or to the to maybe to the person talking depending on their orientation to politics is to to hear what's not great for them, you know, to to hear about their lives and what what is mm-hmm. driving because I think uh it could be very easy to um feel like you're in a debate if you're asked certain questions and then you kind of get frozen up into a defensive posture. Um so that's just a thought. But I have a, I have this theory. Let's see, do we have time for this? Okay, we can take this on a little bit. Um, I've had this idea for many years, and I've pretty much not talked about it because every time I've tried, it seemed like whoever I was talking to thought it was so far fetched and impossible that they couldn't see any point in talking about it. And maybe that's maybe that's the maybe that's. Are you, you know, vetting universal. your idea on me? Yeah, I'm going to try it out on you. So well, it's not really. Um, meant as a practical proposal. I don't think we're evolved enough for this idea. But I like the idea of us evolving into it as as a as a, as a human species, I suppose. Um, but I was thinking about our system of how we share resources. And I was thinking about like what if what if we came to a point in human human evolution where we evolved past where we decided that it's actually wrong to sell things like everything mm-hmm. needs to be given freely. And, um, what would that mean? What would to make a, a world like that work where, where everything had to be given? It's a, that, that everything is free, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know that I kind of think that's a sort of, you a, know, there's a, a movie called one day, everything will be free. Right? No, yeah. that's very exciting. It's a documentary me. about, uh, Sadhana forest. Um, which is a uh, intentional community that was started in or outside of Orville in India, huh. and now has a, also has a site in in Haiti, and uh, it's a community based on everything is free, and they they live uh, anybody can go there and live, and you work and you plant trees, and you eat vegan food and you grow food and you teach and live. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a book that might be of interest to you called Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. I'm really interested in his thinking. So, and I, I do know about that book, and I I'm glad you mentioned it. Cause I yeah, because it's it. it's re- returning the question of well, what is an economy for? Right. And if it's not to serve meeting the needs of the members of a community, then, then why have it? Right. Right. right? And, and the idea he begins with the, uh, I forget who the quote is from, but he's, it starts off, um, your life is a gift and the, the purpose of your life is to find out how to give the gift back. Mm. Uh, and Mm. so he starts off with that premise that, if our lives are our gifts, we didn't ask for them, we didn't earn them, we didn't buy them, we didn't do anything to have them, that somehow we are born into these bodies and, you know, and uh, then as a sociologist, then I say, and if you are also gifted parents who have resources or gifted parents who can 
take care of you and and who have food or all those things and you you are allowed to live not everybody some people are given the gift of life and then society has deemed that they don't deserve to eat and all that but but anyway the the basic idea is that he feels we have a sense of of gratitude a sort of innate sense of gratitude and and that's why all religions have aspects of giving thanks and you know and that we don't deserve this that Mm. this is an, an incredible experience that you know we should you know pray for or um and so appreciate from that, appreciate. And so from that comes this idea that everything should be free, that, you know, that everything is an exchange mm-hmm. and not that you do nothing. And, and as soon as it's funny in our society, you know, with, with my students, if I say, well, you know, if the food is free and, you know, and like, well, nobody will work and the, if there's no competition, you know, everybody will be lazy and people just steal. And I'm like, no, humans do things because they want to, you know, nobody paid people, you know, to, to, to invent, you know, writing or, you know, invent the wheel or, you know, come up with music or to dance or sing or, you know, do art. These are, these are things that we do because that's, that's who we are, you know, that, uh, and so, you know, if we get so much pleasure from doing those things, then, then paying for life and 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 buying and selling it then becomes a depreciation of its intrinsic value and right. and also adds layers of separation going back mm. to our earlier theme and it just feeds directly into this the insanity that caring for our environment would look like a chore oh yeah i mean that's one of the greater pleasures of life is caring for your body and caring for your environment like, yeah i mean what is a vacation it's a, a chance to be in a beautiful environment and take care of yourself. Yeah. At least that's my picture of a vacation. I suppose some people's picture is that it's some kind of adventure or something like that. But um, but if we could live with our values sort of straightened out, it would be so nice. <laughs> uh, that's such a... Yeah, yeah but simple, kind of I mean, we statement. we don't live with our values straightened out because we're deeply wounded as yeah. a culture. I right. mean, we are... I tell my students all the time, we're we're out of our minds. I mean, we are the most mentally disturbed humans that the planet has ever seen. Mm. You know, be, uh, because only mentally disturbed humans would destroy yeah. the, their life source, right. would commit mass suicide, and 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 knowingly do it. Yeah, uh, you know, and create you know substances like atomic waste that mm-hmm. that are you know have yeah. thousands of lifetimes right. that are going to pour into rivers or that are going to yeah. you know destroy billions of years of of oceanic evolution and uh, you know and so then it i think it helps you know to to speak it very clearly that mm-hmm. you know that there's something wrong with us right. and part of what we have to do and part of kind of the climate change story is that self-healing you know that you have to heal yourself in order to see, you know, what needs to be done. You know, I, I, I heard an interview, someone has written a book, I think it was a book review and an interview. Um, I might be getting things conflated. But anyway, it was talking about the origins of the conflict in Yemen. And it was saying that it's it was going back to uh, um, water shortage. And it You was, mean Syria? What's that? You said Yemen. You mean Syria or did I? I thought I think I meant Yemen. What what's in Yemen? What's going on in Yemen? Why do I have Yemen in my head? Mm, I mean, Yemen's a tiny little uh, spot. The, is it Syria is the massive conflict? Okay, maybe conflict in the Middle East somewhere. Anyway, it was talking about water, and it was talking about um, pr- that the water shortage created conflict, mm-hmm. and the and the bigger and bigger conflict grew out of out of like they were saying like probably you know two women at a well started fighting or something yeah i don't know why they said women probably i I didn't go into that but whatever um but the other piece they were saying is that the water shortage came about because it became very profitable to grow this one crop that was it's called cot and it's a uh i think something it's like a leaf that people would chew and it would have like a psychotropic effect and it is a huge hog of water. And it's not, they could, they used to grow lots of food and um, more crops that were more useful and, other, and, and, you know, a healthy life. But this became the one moneymaker and it sort of took over everything and it, it, it used up the water and that, that's where it all began. You know, 
the 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 part about it starting with water was not a surprise, mm-hmm. but the part about it starting for profit was, yeah. and it shouldn't have been. Yeah. But um, I mean, the one thing I take that's encouraging out of that kind of thing is that we probably have more resources for what we really need than we realize because we're using so much of them up for things we don't really need. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A good a good book that looks at the correlation between environmental stress and uh, and social repercussions is called The Tropic of Chaos mm. by Christian Parenti. And he has the term catastrophic convergence where you have you know, m- multiple things kind of coming together, not in, you know, plus, 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 but sort of in a layered way. And so, you know, an example, and, and you know, your example may be about Yemen. I haven't heard of any yeah, yeah. specific conflicts in Yemen. Yeah. Uh, I do know one of the things he discusses is in Afghanistan, you know, the, the poppy uses a third less water than, than wheat. And so as rain becomes scarce, poppy is easier to grow. And so the transition to to the opioid industry or the opiate, mm. you know, selling heroin um, had a climate change piece to it and, mm. and isn't just, you know, all oh, those those people, you know, grow those drugs because they're bad people and they cause that problem that then causes this, you know, and it's yeah. it's seeing things in a much more mm-hmm. uh, kind of intersecting and complex way. So. Yeah. So are you going to the march on uh, the women's march? Uh, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, m- my energy and resources are, are limited. I, uh, need to go visit my mother in New Jersey in the next few weeks. And I don't know, also right. want to go to DC. And I think, you know, wherever you are, you can do something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, I feel like I do things all the time, you know, but you had to think it through, right. Whether or not you'd go, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. I, I thought about it and, yeah. and I think there are, there are, some people who should go, young yeah. people who've never done anything political yeah. and who are not embedded in their communities and are sort of floating should definitely go down there, yeah. you know, if they have the resources. Right. And, um, you know, I'm very embedded in my community. I spend, mm-hmm. you know, hours a week on trying to, to you know, create community right. and, and work in a collaborative way and yeah. and and think about what's the practice of sustainability mm-hmm. and, and what kind of communities do we need to, to have resiliency and uh, for me to spend eight hours on a bus and wander around um, doesn't yeah. bear fruit for me. Right. But yeah. like I said, I think you know some people, yeah. that, that's their gift or yeah. their calling right. in this moment. Right. Everybody can do something in a given moment and I don't think everybody has to do the same thing and I don't think one makes you more you know, radical or more of an activist. Uh, You know, I think activism is much slower, quieter, you know, it's like, you know, the, you know, the, the hare versus the turtle. Mm -hmm. It's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, the slow everyday drudgery of just trying, you know, to put ideas into practice uh, versus, you know, the poof of, you know, part of a, of a walk. Um, no. Yeah, there's something that I, I'm not going either. Um, and my husband at first was uh, was saying, I want to go to that. And um, I was pleased that he wanted to go. I think it's great that men, a man would want to go. Um, and ultimately, he was in a car accident recently. He's okay. He's well, he's recovering, but um, but it's no longer even on the table. I think I'm going to need a hat, though. They're oh, knitting yeah? pussy hats. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've been hearing about people Yeah, I, I know how to knit. And actually, my wife, Tina, is buying pink yarn. She doesn't know how to knit. So she's buying the yarn. I'm going to start <laughs> knitting tonight. So. That's great. I have to look online to see what they are because I've heard of them, but I haven't actually Yeah, seen we them. watched a little YouTube video yeah. by a drunken crafter or something. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I, well, I did struggle with the decision because, um, you know, I've kind of come to the conclusion that... Um, some very similar i mean pretty much the same thing you all everything you just said um and also that um just realize how easy it is to get caught up in in the illusion that if there there's some right thing that you should do and then you can be relieved of feeling terrible about the situation mm-hmm. it's just not the way it's going to work <laughs> you got you're going to feel to pay attention to it is going to make you feel terrible and 
for some people, they find they're going to find um, hope in in sort of being part of something like that. And I'm going to find hope in hearing how many actually did it. And I thought about, well, maybe I give my bus fare money to somebody who really wants to go. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe I give my bus fare money to Planned Parenthood. But one or the other will happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, you know, uh, and it's also, you know, thinking about who has, you know, who has the privilege to go. I, yeah, you know, I have yeah. a friend who, who is half African, half African-American, he's Muslim, and he's also gay. And he was asking me, you know, I'm wondering whether I should go to the march. And part of me is like... Mm, I don't know. You know, you're somebody who who could easily be a victim of 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 aggression or of police mm. brutality or oh, um, you know, and so, you know, maybe your focus is best, you know, done in what you're doing at, at, you mm. know, uh, locally or mm. um, again, you know, thinking, you know, whose body should go whose body should not go who you know mm. whose presence do we need whose presence is right. better um you know because i i i know that you know police do do, do instigating behaviors mm. and are in plain clothes and mm. do set people up for mm. uh violence and then claim that the, the march was violent i uh, right. and so i you know i don't i don't trust mm those spaces at all and uh, uh especially you know with a lot of the increased surveillance abilities that they mm-hmm. now have right. and, you know so again i think people should should think about you know who they are um and you know what they bring and and right. and what what they want to accomplish and if they go you know come home and and keep going yeah you know, yeah exactly uh, keep, yeah. keep doing it yeah Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been awesome we, as usual. We, we've and been I, all over the place. But I, it was, yeah. It's it good. You never know where an hour will take us. So yeah. I, I appreciate it a lot, and I look forward to the next one and whatever we do next. Great. Um, and let Thank me just you. say, just uh, just as a little quickie thing, um, so in the previous conversation with Phoebe, we did talk about the nonprofit Click, and I will link that in the show notes. I will put in the names of the books that you mentioned as well. Um, so if anyone wants to find them besides me, um, they'll have an easy access. So go to hellocc.info to get the, all the podcasts and the show notes. All right. Thanks. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening.